So today we are embarking on a new journey together. A fairly ambitious, and I have to warn you, a possibly dangerous journey. We will all need to be prepared because it will likely be challenging, possibly mind-bending, and maybe even life-changing. This journey might bring up memories from your past, some good and maybe some not so good. This journey might upset our basic understandings of life and death and heaven and hell and good and evil. And I don't want to go on this journey alone, so will you all go with me? I don't even know what it is, and I got a yes. I imagine some of you might want to know what this perilous, challenging, and difficult journey is. What is this journey that I speak of? Well, we are going to study the book of Romans in the Bible. (laughs) If you thought 1 Peter was challenging, then you might want to prepare yourself for Romans. (laughs) I took a seminary course at Asbury on the book of Romans, and I still did not understand it when I was done with the seminary course. And I even got an A, and I did not have any idea what Romans was about. (laughs) I was at the Kentucky uh, Annual Conference for the United Methodist uh, this past week, and I told a few pastors that we were going to begin a, a long series on the book of Romans, and every single one of them looked at me and said, really? They all seemed concerned for me, perhaps thinking I'm making a big mistake. Maybe I am making a mistake, I'm not sure, <laughs> but I, I don't think so. Honestly... I've never really liked the book of Romans, just to be honest with you. And just that fact is enough reason for me to want to study it. In the past, I've found that when I dislike certain books of the Bible, it's not really because there's something wrong with the book in the Bible. It's because I lack understanding of the book in the Bible. First Peter was an example of a book that I didn't really like all that much until I studied it, and I've grown to love First Peter because I feel like I get it a little more. I understand why Peter wrote that particular letter. Perhaps if we gain some more understanding of Romans, uh, we may grow to appreciate it more. I'll tell you one of the reasons I, I've never really liked the book of Romans all that much is because I have some history with this book. Any of y'all got history with the book of Romans in the Bible? I got some hands that went up very quickly, very quickly. Uh, Some of y'all may not. That's great. You don't need to. I don't want y'all to have a bad history with Romans. Uh, But I've got some history there. Um, I've shared this before with some of you all, but I'll share a a quick story with you of one of my experiences with Romans. When I was in college, I volunteered to be an altar minister at the Ichthus Music Festival uh, that was out in Wilmore. Now, the altar ministers basically would pray with folks um, after the altar calls at the, the night, like nightly speakers that they would have. And you would be in a tent, and, and there would be a long flood of people that would come to get prayer after they heard the message. And so I wanted a free ticket to Igthus, uh, and altar ministers got a free ticket. And I also wanted to share Jesus with people, so it was a win-win for me, right? Um, and so... The only requirement was that we attend a training, and it was at Asbury Seminary, and and we attended an altar minister training before the festival started. Now, the bulk of the training was focused on kind of how they thought we should lead someone to Christ. Now, I was not the kind of person growing up that 
would just go tell somebody about Jesus. I wasn't like someone who witnessed a lot or I remember in college they had this thing where you would go out and you'd do like street witnessing and you would just go talk to random people on the street about Jesus. Never participated. I went once and I just walked around the whole time by myself and didn't talk to anybody because I was like kind of terrified by the thought of that. What would I say, right? Would it be awkward? I actually thought, am I like cool enough? Uh, Will people think I'm cool enough and want to know Jesus because I'm cool? Like, it's so backwards thinking, right? That's not how we ought to think. But these are the questions I had, and they worried me. And so the training made me feel a lot better because apparently there was a formula for getting someone saved, and it was all found in the book of Romans, apparently. So the formula for getting someone saved that they were focused on has become known as the Roman's road to salvation. Have y'all heard of this? It's clever because the Romans were known for their roads, you know, and so it's like the Roman's road to salvation. It's really good. Um, But the basic gist of it is this. All have sinned. You know, there's that passage, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin is death. It says the wages of sin is death. Christ died while sinless taking on our punishment on himself. And so if you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior with your mouth, that he died for your sins, then you're going to inherit eternal life and not death. You won't get that punishment that you deserve. Now, I was taking good notes at the training, and I left the room a little nervous, but I was excited at the thought that I could play a role in saving someone from hell and leading them to eternal life with Jesus. I was ready to walk that Roman's road with anybody who showed up at that tent. So Igthus finally arrived. I heard some good music uh, that day at the festival, and then evening came. And I was scheduled that night um, to be an altar minister when this guy named Louis Giglio was speaking. Do you all know who this guy is? He was part of, like, the passion worship movement. Um, And I'll tell you, he is a really good speaker, like, really good speaker. Amazing preacher. I mean, That night, I was impacted by his message. He made following Jesus sound really compelling to me. Um, And I was already a Christian, but I was very impacted by it. His message, I remember part of his message. It was about the Apostle Paul, actually, who wrote the book of Romans. And he spoke about Paul's just radical commitment to the gospel. And he talked about all the trials and, and difficulties and suffering and persecution that Paul faced. And he showed us... That, that Paul still went through it and had this purpose and meaning and courage in his life. And I never had a lot of courage in my life growing up, and so it inspired me and challenged me to want to be like Paul and follow closely after Jesus in this way. And so at the end of the message, he invited everyone who wanted to follow Jesus uh, to go to the prayer tent and surrender their lives to the way of Christ. It was a really wonderful message. And I, I got, uh, so I had to leave a little early. I went to the tent, and I was waiting there, and I saw a massive line of people coming back to the tent. And I was getting nervous because I'm like, oh, okay, here, this is getting real. I'm like, I'm trying to remember. I'm looking through Romans 3. I started there and was reading the Romans road thing. Like, am I going to be able to do this? Now, all these people came, and I, as my turn came, I was assigned to pray with a young man that was about my age. He was a college kid, and he had responded to what I believe was the spirit stirring in his heart. I saw it and I felt it when he came and spoke to me. He shared with me that he just wanted purpose in his life. He wanted, he he saw that this way of Jesus 
was a way that would lead to peace and life and meaning in his life, and he wanted that as a part of his life now. He wanted to follow Jesus. So I opened my book, uh, my Bible, to Romans 3, and I said, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I told him that the wages of sin is death, and then I talked about this great chasm between him and God, and Jesus built a bridge that's going to connect him to God, and and now he doesn't have to go to hell anymore, but he can go to heaven if he just prays the sinner's prayer. And I literally, I said, all right, bow your head and pray after me. And I said a line. He would say a line. And he wasn't really into it. And, and we were praying this prayer together. And all sounds good, right, you know? Um, but I noticed as I was going through this with him that it was not connecting with him at all. Like there was a disconnect happening, a major disconnect when we prayed the prayer, like, he barely said what I said. out. I mean, I was so nervous and, like, stressed because I'm like, this isn't working. I was given the formula, and it's not working. What is happening here? And after he left, I, I honestly, I felt defeated. And, and I, I think I signed up for the next day. I just didn't go um, because I just felt so bad. Like, that, like, this isn't working, and I felt like I'd messed up everything, and I wasn't sure why. Now, as I've reflected back on that experience, there's, there was a lot of layers of stuff going on with that kind of way of kind of leading people to follow Jesus. But as I've reflected on it, I think I have a little insight about what might have been going on there. This young man came to the tent, and he wanted to follow Jesus now in this life. He wanted meaning and purpose now in this life, in the here and now. And all I did was offer him a way to get out of hell and go to heaven. He was searching for a gospel that had power for this life, and I only offered him a gospel that assured him of an afterlife. And it just did not connect. This is the main reason I've never liked Romans, because I've always assumed that Romans is just how I, as an individual, can find personal salvation and get into hell. It's kind of like how you do the thing so you can be saved from going to hell, and you can have this assurance that you're with Jesus forever in heaven. The Romans' road to salvation has never been very appealing to me because I'm concerned more with how the gospel impacts the here and now. Eternity is great, and I'm excited for it. And that gives me some peace thinking about death, even though I'm still scared of death, right? But I have some peace about that because I, I do believe that there's something beyond this. But really, I'm, I'm trying to live in this world now because i got to live now. And Jesus seemed to say over and over and over again that the gospel has power for now in this life. And that we're called to live in a certain kind of way now in this life. And so given my history with Romans, when I saw that the lectionary spends many weeks in Romans this summer, I figured it might be a good idea for us to spend some time studying this book. This is how I like to approach preaching. If there's something I need to dig into, then I'm like, well, let's just do it, right? And hopefully y'all are willing to go on that journey. Um, and I also think about if y'all are having questions, and this comes up all the time. Um, people talk about this kind of how we can rethink a little bit of what the gospel really is. That's part of the reason we read that Lisa Sharon Harper book a few months ago. And, and so I thought this would be a really good moment for us to dig into this book of Romans. And I've always had the suspicion that I'm reading this book wrong, that I'm misunderstanding Paul's message. Maybe Romans isn't 
really supposed to be a systematic theology of how to find personal salvation from sin and death. Perhaps something else is going on here. Now let me remind you about something I said many times over the last couple of years. When we read the New Testament letters, and Romans is a letter, we are reading somebody else's mail. Romans is a letter written by someone, and it's widely believed and accepted it was the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a particular group of people for a particular purpose. His original intent was not to write a letter that's going to be read by people all over the world for 2,000 years. He was addressing specific concerns in an actual community. So, who was Paul writing to? Well, we're going to get into this a lot over the next few weeks, but I want to tell you just a little bit about that as we ease into this sermon series. Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, which hence the name Romans, right? He was writing to Christians in Rome, and that was the heart of the Roman Empire. Paul had never been to the city of Rome. In fact, he wanted to travel to Rome, but was never able to make it there. Some of these Christians in Rome were people that Paul knew actually personally, and he loved them deeply, but was not able to visit them. Many people across our world have family here in the United States or in other countries and are not able to travel to see them because of personal limitations or laws or safety concerns. And Paul was in a similar spot. He just couldn't get there. In Rome, there were a few house churches in Rome that were led by some women and men who were Christians, Jesus people in Rome. In chapter 16, at the very end, Paul sends greetings to a long list of people. And 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 a lot of these folks were people who were leading these particular house churches. It's estimated that there were around eight house churches in Rome. All right, we're talking about the capital city of the Roman Empire. There were eight, roughly, house churches in Rome. Now, I'd always assumed that there were lots of Christians in Rome when Paul wrote this letter. But the reality is that Christianity was very small and very new. There were very few Christians in Rome. A house church would meet in a family home. They would likely have an area. It could have been kind of like a porch area or a home in their or room in their house that could hold no more than about 30 people max. So if we have eight churches in Rome that can hold about 25 to 30 people, we're talking only about 200 or so Christians in Rome. That's not a lot of people, right? That's it. This was a small, marginal, powerless group of people. Romans was a letter that would have been read publicly in each of these house churches, and they would have likely been thrilled to have a letter from Paul because they knew who Paul was. These houses were very small, these house churches, but they were also extremely diverse. This is something that we often don't pick up when we're reading the book of Romans. At the end of Romans, I mentioned we read this list of names that Paul gives greetings to. And these are people that Paul wants to, he wants to call them out and give them a special greeting. They probably felt really special that Paul mentions their names. When they're hearing this letter read in their church, they're like, what? Dude, mention my name? This is so cool. And Paul reads this letter of names. And these churches in Rome, all these names were Greek names. There were Roman names. There were Jewish names in this list. And, and this means that these churches in Rome consisted of Greeks and Romans and Jews 
who followed Jesus. These churches were very ethnically diverse, but they were also diverse in other ways. They were comprised of people from all different socioeconomic classes. You would have had slaves in these churches, and you might even had some masters. You would have had foreigners. You would have had wealthy people. You would have had people who were very poor and day laborers who were just fighting each day to survive. You would have men and women and children. These house churches in Rome were very diverse. And I'll tell you, diverse communities are beautiful, yet they are very, very challenging. One issue with diverse communities is it's really hard um, and very difficult to stay unified. Because when people are different, it's harder to get along. It's harder to see eye to eye. It's harder to find common ground. It's much easier to find unity in uniformity. But to find unity in the midst of diversity is actually really hard. Yet I believe that's what Jesus has called us to. That's what the church ought to be, finding unity in diversity. If we ask communities and people, when you come here, just to assimilate and be like everybody else and try to be the same, unity is easier if we all try to just be the same as one another. But our faith teaches us to celebrate our differences to celebrate our uniqueness and seek to find unity while we maintain our diversity. We talked a little bit about this on Pentecost. These churches in Rome would have faced challenges just because they were all so different. There were power dynamics at play because there were people in these churches who were used to having lots of power, and there were people who were powerless and had no power in these churches. Yet the gospel said everybody was equal. This would have created challenges. There were people that had ethnic differences. There was gender diversity. There were people who had resources. There were some who didn't have resources. And they believed in equality and mutuality, and sharing leadership responsibilities, sharing decision-making. You can just imagine that this would create challenges. How are we going to come together and find a common purpose and a common mission? There were even different religious beliefs and spiritual practices in these churches. There were Jews who interpreted their Jewish scriptures differently from one another. There wasn't even a shared understanding of morality and ethics. What is ethical and what is not? There were so many factors at play that made staying unified very difficult. Finding unity and diversity is really challenging. But in this particular time in Rome, these churches were facing a specific unique challenge that made it even harder for them to stay unified. In A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius issued an edict that expelled the Jews from Rome. And so they were kicked out of the Roman uh, capital there. And it was because, uh, some, some texts say that it was because of their fighting about one Christus, it says. And many scholars believe that it was meant to say Christus, talking about Jesus Christ. It's commonly believed that Claudius was referring to this debate that the Jews and arguments they were having about Jesus and whether or not he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And so Claudius expelled them from the city. This is mentioned actually in Acts 18.2. Priscilla and Aquila were two early church leaders that actually were among that group of Jews that were expelled from Rome. So the Jews were gone from Rome for about five years. They were basically deported from Rome and forced to live in other places for around five years. So imagine if all the Jews leave these churches, 
During that time, the churches in Rome became largely run by the Gentiles. These would have been Romans and Greeks mainly, and there could have been other folks that the Romans labeled as barbarians that lived in other parts of the Roman Empire who were then leading these churches. So Gentiles were assuming leadership and the responsibility of caring for these churches. They probably started meeting in more Gentile homes at that point. But when Claudius died, the Jews were then allowed to go back to Rome. And so some Jews who followed Jesus, it's believed, returned to Rome and joined back up with their house churches. Now, I imagine when they got back, these churches looked a lot different from when they were there five years before, right? They were in Gentile homes, largely comprised of Gentile Christians, and they likely didn't know the Jewish scriptures. They ate non-Jewish or non-kosher foods. They lived lives that looked very different from the Jews. Also, these returning Jews were returning likely with very little resources. And they were in a desperate spot and struggling. And here they show up in town. Hey, we're back. And we're trying to jump back into life with our house church that we had been a part of. Now it appears that Paul's, one of Paul's main goals, maybe even his primary goal in Romans, was to help these churches find unity and solidarity in the midst of this just wild diversity that they had in their congregations. Paul wanted them to find common ground, to make sacrifices for each other, to compromise with one another, to practice humility, and to be kind, to seek equity and justice so that everybody has enough in their churches, to ensure that nobody was left out or left behind. And my belief as I've begun studying this is that All the theology that you read in chapters 1 through 11, that all of it is meant to reinforce that unity and help these young Christians learn to accept each other and work together to bring peace to their communities in Rome. They were concerned not just with their local churches, but how can we even be a witness to what Jesus has done beyond our little tiny churches that they were leading. I don't think this... Roman series could come, honestly, at a better time. I think we are at the perfect moment in the life of our church to be digging into Romans. As our church continues to seriously consider how we can best and in love LGBTQ people, we are going to disagree and we're going to struggle to find common ground. But I think Romans can perhaps help us navigate the challenges we face and fight for one another and really try to stay connected and unified in the midst of diversity in our church. I just got back from my annual conference for the United Methodist Church here in Kentucky. And and since 2019, when this whole process was introduced of disaffiliation, we're having about half of our churches in Kentucky have left the denomination. And we were there, and it was really painful to see so many names read and see the pastors and the lay leaders in these churches. Um, It was a really challenging uh, conference to be at. I think Paul's message of unity is important for us as we grieve uh, the division, and we also dream of what the next season of our life together as United Methodists in Kentucky can look like over many different decades to come. Our society, I don't even need to say this, but our society is like becoming so divided and fractured and separated, and, and it's, it's, it's like become so unhealthy and so damaging, and it's, I'm sure that Jesus is just weeping over the division that we have in our world. 
The vulnerable are being trampled on and ignored while the powerful are becoming more violent and more intolerant. And I think Romans can help us discern how we might come together and try to find common ground with each other and work towards peace, work towards the common good of our communities in which we live and work and spend our lives each and every day. Then I, I probably don't even need to say this, but I just want to acknowledge that so many of us as individuals are feeling lonely, we're feeling isolated, we're feeling distant from our friends and from our families. We're struggling to feel at home in our nation, in our city, in our families, in our churches. And I believe Romans can help us discern how we might find a home in Jesus and community with each other. I'm really excited about this series, and I hope you are excited too. Um, It's probably going to go on upwards of 15 weeks. I haven't decided exactly how we're going to do it yet, um, but we're going to figure that out. Um, But I'm really excited about it, and and I hope that we can have some really just good conversation. My hope is, too, we can just come together even more, and that, that our bond and our connection and our unity with one another can be strong because it's really hard, and we're going to have to keep fighting for this. Um, as we try to live our lives together in this really challenging world that we live in. And so uh, are y'all willing to go on the journey uh, uh, with me? All right, all right. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.